Hello everyone, this is Father Michael Trummer. Today we're going to talk about healing. And healing is definitely something that's part of the normal Christian life. We're going to talk about different facets of healing. Emotional healing, spiritual healing, uh, but especially physical healing because oftentimes that is neglected. For me, in terms of getting really excited about my faith, learning about healing was something that was very inspiring and really invigorated my faith. Father Christopher already shared how him reading about healing through Mary Healy's book on healing, called Healing, (laughs) was really inspiring for him. And when she, I guess the book was inspiring, but actually she came and gave the lecture at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis when I was in seminary. And it really stirred me. And back then, I didn't have the spiritual sensitivity to recognize what was going on. I just thought, okay, I'm just getting excited. When you when you listen or hear something that's spirit-filled, or yeah, or read something, you are and, and you feel this deeper excitement. A sign of the spirit moving is this burning in the heart, and that's definitely what I what I was experiencing. But anyways, what excited me so much about her message was just bringing so much clarity to the the gospel message and highlighting this this reality that the proclamation of the gospel so basically Jesus sharing the news of the kingdom of God was accompanied by signs and wonders it was especially accompanied by healings physical healings and uh, deliverance as well we're not going to talk so much about deliverance today but healing is so present in the gospels and you know it really is important to make these analogies of of spiritual healing and we to be very clear right from the get-go uh we all believe that spiritual healing and emotional healing are far more important than physical healing that being said i've heard so many reflections and homilies where jesus is physically healing someone and it always goes to a spiritual analogy or spiritual healing and no one really talking with much expectancy at all about physical healing so jesus healed multitudes of people he uh, apart from the multitudes there's very other special encounters where he's healing people and of the miracles jesus does that's given to us in scripture anyways they're almost all healing so he, he does walk on water. He does multiply the fish and the loaves, which is significant, but the vast, vast majority are healing. And I'll get into this later, but this is his idea. He showed up doing this. Certainly people did come asking him for healing, but uh, even before it was begged for, asked for, he just walking around and he healed people. And so... This is something that accompanies the, the gospel message. And I had heard of healing stories from Jesus and some saint stories, but I believe this whole thing that, well, if you're really, 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 really holy, then God can do a miracle through you, maybe. <laughs> but then this, then realizing that, okay, this is something that Jesus did, but also in Acts of the Apostles, there's all sorts of crazy miracles. And then in the early church, Mary, he- Dr. Mary Healy shared how healing 
miracles were very present in the early church and other signs and wonders as well. But this was this was normal. We want you want to talk about the normal Christian life. This was the normal Christian life. God moving in power and and bringing healing. And so we want to just take some time to just to talk about the significance of healing in the normal Christian life in the life of Jesus. And then uh, just try to bring some some balance, because uh, especially as Catholics, I gotta be careful. I'm not sharing the whole podcast here, guys. But uh, we know that redemptive suffering is something important, but we can definitely not really believe or consider the importance of of healing. We all want to help present, I, I think, a bit of a broader perspective on on healing, uh, a broader, very Catholic perspective. Um, Father Michael and Father Chris and I have definitely discussed these things a lot over the years um, because there's a lot of different things being said about physical healing in particular. Uh, you know, is it, you know, how important is it really, you know, um, you know, and reasons why, why do people, some people get healed and some don't, you know, what, what is the role of redemptive suffering? Um, it, like w- with physical healing being a thing. And um, I would just start by saying, you know, as we as we discussed last time in our last episode about um, our baptismal identity, you know, we have access to the inheritance that Jesus received from the Father. We're sons and daughters of the Father, so we received everything that that He has received um, from His Father, and um, it flows from who we are as priest, prophet, and king from our baptism that we have authority that we have the power to speak prophetically, to speak truth into the world, um, and um, yeah, priest, uh, priest to offer spiritual sacrifices. But Jesus also makes it clear in the Gospels that he gave his um, apostles these supernatural charisms, you know, the, including the power to heal. I mean, he said it right before he went up into heaven. And, um, and I will talk more about this in a bit, um, maybe not just yet, but just the importance of physical healing as a sign to spread the gospel. And a lot of people might think, well, that was really important for the early days of the church, because not a lot of people know about that, you know. But um, I would argue that's an extremely, extremely important sign that we need today as well. But all that being said, this focus on healing, you know, you might think, well, eh, it's like, depending on where you know where you're from and you know and what your your kind of context is and, and background it might be something like well why are we just going right into healing as our first topic from baptism and baptismal identity it's not because it's the most important thing but we think it's it's something that is um, generally ignored or dismissed in the church as a whole but which has the potential to open up just a tremendous reservoir of faith in the church. And so it's really important, I think, that we um, discuss, is this something that's, first of all, real and still going on? And um, what are the implications for this, especially the possibility that ordinary Christians can pray for healing and see immediately sometimes results from those prayers yeah i like that you 
when you started talking, Joe, you, you talked about the, the broader question of like, just what exactly is the purpose of this? And we can probably think of a couple of different purposes for why, first of all, Jesus would heal people. And then secondly, like why he would commission his disciples to heal people. A lot of times the focus is placed entirely on the evidential power of healing or the fact that healing um, demonstrates Jesus's identity. Um, whenever, if that is your understanding of why Jesus worked miracles of healing, you're probably not going to really see as much uh, of a role for that going forward because you might think, well, Jesus's identity, once it was established, once the disciples, his apostles knew who he was, knew that he was the son of God, they could proclaim him, they could proclaim that truth, and they don't need the healing so much. Um, even on that note of the, of the, of the evidential power though. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that people are lacking faith, um, you know, today is, is as much as ever. And, you know, the idea that we, that people no longer need to be moved to faith by miracles and things like healings. I don't think there's a lot of, a lot of support for that, but there's a, a second purpose, uh, you could think of for healing that I think is super important. And it, it really gets to, God just revealing his love and God revealing his heart to us. So Jesus was doing all these healings as he was proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. And Jesus was bringing the, the presence of God, God's kingdom. So basically the idea is anywhere where the kingdom of God is breaking into the world, anywhere where the kingdom of God is being proclaimed, there should be signs of the kingdom. And we pray in the Our Father Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in order to for people to see and to experience that God's kingdom is actually becoming present on earth, that God's will, uh, as it's done in heaven, that it's being done on earth, that God's Holy Spirit is really real and is present, we should expect to see uh, signs, the same kinds of signs that accompanied Jesus's proclamation of the kingdom. So if Jesus uh, used these signs and wonders and things like healings, exorcisms to manifest, to show that, that he was bringing God's kingdom, and he instructed his apostles and disciples to do that during his earthly ministry, why should we expect any different? And not only should we just not expect any different, but Jesus himself, at the end of Mark's gospel, he says very explicitly, these signs will accompany those who believe. And one of the signs he lists is they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So he said that that sign would accompany everyone, everyone who believes that that's so when, when Joe mentioned like ordinary Christians can pray for this and see amazing God work, amazing wonders of healing. Uh, that might not be our experience up to this point, And that might sound kind of shocking, but, uh, it is just amazing whenever you whenever you go back to scripture and what Jesus literally said and did, like how different that can look maybe from what we've come to expect in our experience of the church. Yeah, and so as modern disciples, we have to share our faith. And how are we going to do that? Why would our approach be so different than Jesus? There's this view called uh, cessationism, which is basically the belief that 
these healing healing miracles that Jesus did was for his time, and maybe in the time of the apostles, but after that, no more healing miracles, basically. There's this different way of operating. One, as my brother just alluded to, Jesus said that those who believe in him will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And what we see in early in the in the history of the early church, we do see continual we do see continual healing miracles. So if we're trying to proclaim the gospel uh, to the world to other people, maybe not every single person, but as a whole in our efforts of evangelization, there we should be seeing these signs and wonders. We should be seeing healings, and it it. Is not the only purpose of them, but it does build faith. And uh, the reality is that we just might we might not always have faith that they're still that they're still possible. Yeah, just speaking for myself, I'll uh, admit that you know if I had heard about maybe some of these things years ago, I might have. I, I honestly, I think I I thought some of this stuff was kind of embarrassing, like. Just because of my intellectual bent and just this very rigorous, like kind of more rationalistic approach that I had to the faith, uh, the idea of just very <laughs> ordinary, simple people just praying for healing and um, just just it is so simple and it's so humble and it it really acknowledges our poverty and our need for God. It requires us to be very vulnerable and often to be vulnerable in front of other people uh, in, how, in how we pray and the people who are coming who are asking for the prayer for healing. So I I totally understand that people, maybe people listening to this might think like very uncomfortable with the idea of, I mean, I know a lot of people have probably never even really experienced praying with other people or for them like in their own presence. So I had an experience whenever I was in seminary in Rome, the first couple years I was there, my apostolate or like my ministry assignment as a seminarian was to go to the international hospital once a week and visit patients for a, a few hours. And I would just literally walk around to different people's rooms. And it's kind of different from how it is here in the United States. Like we would probably say like, oh, I didn't ask anyone to visit me, but I would just, they just told the the, the nun who was in charge said, oh, you just visit everybody. And I just like walk in the room, be like, hey. You want to visit? It's like, who are you? I'm a seminarian. It's like, oh, okay, like, sure. <laughs> and, um, but it was, it was eye-opening to me. I was totally unfamiliar with the idea of, of like, like praying for someone in front of them. Uh, I think most of us are just used to adding people to our prayer list. And that is very important. And we should obviously do that with intercessory prayer. And, you know, we should continue praying for people uh, even when we're not with them. But I was really surprised at how powerful it was for people just to be, just to have me pray for them with me in their presence. And mind you, a lot of, most of these people that I was visiting with were Italian and I was speaking Italian. I was, it was my first couple of years in Italy. So I was definitely, it was not my eloquence that was, <laughs> I was like winning them over. It was just um, a simple prayer of faith and people would often be moved to tears. Um, and it, again, it was definitely not my eloquence. Uh, there is so much power in someone praying in the presence of someone else. And so this is before I ever learned about praying over somebody or like laying hands on them or anything like that. This was just um, 
I've often noticed that there's kind of three levels of of, inter, of praying for somebody, uh, praying for someone at a distance, praying for them uh, in, in their presence, you know, out loud, and then praying over them in, in a way that's um, you kind of even more dramatic. The the gift that I've seen in that and praying for people, praying over people, besides just obviously that's how Jesus told us to do it and how he modeled it. What I've seen, though, is that people get to experience your faith as the person praying. Uh, and just so whether it's praying for healing or praying for some other issue, maybe praying for just for some you know, for peace or for some the resolution of some problem. That's a, an initial encouragement before we dive into the specifics of healing is just don't underestimate the power, power of praying in person, praying together out loud for people who are whose faith is being tried, whose faith, they feel like their faith is weak, they're maybe played by some kind of doubt, for them to hear in your voice your faith is very uplifting to them. It can open them up to what God wants to do in that situation. I think we've addressed to some extent that healing is part of the Gospels. Certainly the, the healings are common in Acts of the Apostles. And there's, like, people are moving, we pray for them, but in general, I think we might want to address just the lack of faith or just the doubt that healings, I mean, we can say that they're supposed to happen, but do they actually happen? I think is a concern maybe we're more aware of or, or not aware of, but I think either way it can be present for a lot of people. So maybe just, I don't know, just just to share some things about God doing healing miracles uh, there's this, uh, Randy Clark uh, has this book on healing, and uh, there's someone he knows in ministry who does a lot of healing prayer in, in Brazil, and his friend stopped counting healings after he'd seen 500 blind eyes opened, 500 deaf ears opened, and 500 lame people walk. Uh, Randy Clark himself, I mentioned a miracle of him having this knowledge from the Holy Spirit of these kind of random conditions that were healed. But in general, the types of healings that still happen today, that especially ones that are noteworthy, is this has happened multiple times where people have had metal in their bodies, whether it's you know, their, their back or their shoulder or a different uh, part of their bone or joint. There have been people who have had metal in their bodies, and it's been verified that the, the metal has actually disappeared and the damaged area was healed as well. So people say, a lot of people think that healing is the placebo effect, that someone prays for you, you <laughs> believe in God, so you start to think it's true, so, you know, you just start to feel better, which yeah, can we happen. We don't, we don't believe that's what it is, because we have heard, and all of us have physically witnessed way too many of these things happening to doubt it at this point. And so, right. I mean, we're, right. we're, we're going to have a little bit of a strict judgment here for our lack of belief because we've seen so much, but I'm uh, sorry to interrupt father, but like, I don't know if there's ever been a time in the history of the church where there's more healings happening, more physically verifiable healings. I'm just right. kind of cutting right to the chase here, but like, right. People need to know about this. And that's one of the reasons we have this podcast is like, we have to share what we have heard and seen. It's not about us being the wise guys who know everything, but we have seen something because we've, been seeking the Lord. And this stuff is real and it's happening. It's happened to a lot of people that I know. Um, I've experienced like smaller degrees of physical healing myself and we can 
tell personal stories about. But yeah, back to you, Father. Yeah, just to say that metal disappearing from the body is not a placebo effect. Okay, just be very clear about that. Um, Patrick Rice from Encounter Ministries talked about uh, seeing this video from Randy Clark. And like in the video, there's someone missing an eye whose eyes formed um, as this, someone's being prayed for. Other miracles where people are missing parts of their ear, and I'm not talking about like the outer part, like the inner parts of the ear. And people have had creative miracles. People have, yeah, just been missing things from their body and they've been prayed for. People are still raised from the dead, especially in places where there's more boldness and more faith, like in Africa. Resurrections or resuscitations, however you want to say it, still happening. If I'll let you guys hop in here if you want to share some more, but yeah, these healings are still happening. Yeah, and going back to like, you can think about some of these things or you know, maybe people who have suffered some of these medical problems and things can be wondering like, uh, when we talk about the purpose of healing, so we mentioned obviously that like, okay, this is a sign of the kingdom of God and this is, an uh, you know, it's, it's also an expression of God's love. So maybe in particular you could think of like, well, if somebody already really believes in God, or there's already a place where there's, you know, talking about these places where there's such strong faith, like, you know, well, why are, why are some of these miracles happening in those places? Or like, or like, why, like, what's the, it doesn't seem like maybe the people need it to be convinced, or, you know, some of these people who really, you know, they really have faith that they can be healed, and then they're healed. And then, obviously, you know, we all acknowledge that ultimately our body will, will fail, and like, you know, in this life, this body will not last forever and we'll all experience death and, and be raised with a glorified body like Jesus. But in the, it's so important that like, there, I think in this time in particular, as Joe hinted at, like, like this is a, a time in history where there's never been more physical miracles. So this whole thing of like, well, I just wish I could have been back, lived back then when it was, everything was more revealed or more obvious or more... There is not a poverty or a shortage of miracles. There is a shortage of testimony. There yes. is a, a shortage of testimony. There's we are Amen. not sharing. We're not sharing the good news. And uh, sometimes the most amazing things can it can seem like they're our, our best kept secrets. And uh, I don't I don't have that much experience of of like the worship and and the and preaching and things in other denominations. But at least in the Catholic Church, in my experience, we we have a, maybe a particular lack of a of a culture of testimony. Now people do, you see this a little bit where people do love stories, and preaching. And I I know that I I'm not that I don't really tell very many stories when I'm preaching, and I want to to work on doing that more because I know they're they're so effective for people. But you, there's a you see that already in how much people love stories that testimonies are so powerful because that's what a story, a good story is like a, a, a true story is a test is a t- testimony. It's, it is a way that God has worked in someone else's life. Uh, and, and it increases my faith that God can do this in my life as well. And one of the thing I wanted to say about, um, okay, so why maybe such a particular outpouring of healings and miracles in this time? Uh, I think because there's, such a lack of faith and 
the what God is doing miraculously in the visible, in the physical world, is meant to convict us, to, to, to persuade us of the reality of the invisible world. This is what you know, Jesus, I think the, probably the, mo- the clearest example of this in Jesus' miracles is when the paralytic is lowered by his friends uh, through the roof in, in front of Jesus and healed. What, how does Jesus interact with the paralytic? He starts off making a, a purely spiritual claim. He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And they, they you know the onlookers really don't like that. And the Pharisees, they say, oh, he's blaspheming. You know, only God can forgive sins. He can't, he doesn't have the authority to do that basically. And Jesus says, so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he says to the paralytic, rise, take up your mat and go home. You see there, he's bridging the spiritual realm. He's bridging what's invisible. What in a sense you you can't really have like any kind of direct evidence of, and, and he's, he's bridging it with this miracle. And so, well, if the same person can, um, do this like this impossible thing in the physical world like i can believe him i can trust him when he makes claims about forgiving my sins when he makes claims about uh you know there's a a home for me in heaven that the the, the father has there's a home for me with the father in heaven it makes it when we see when we're persuaded in the natural it yeah by those signs that's the whole idea of it being a sign it points to something beyond itself it's not the end goal. If the end goal were for physical healing, then we God would just make us not die or make our bodies not break down. It's to, it's for that we would be uh, persuaded by experiencing His love. So healing, healing is a is a wonderful thing in and of itself. Physical healing, and it's born of the compassion of Jesus. You know, he he does it. He heals these people, these lepers who are really not. Um, <laughs> probably not living a life of tremendous holiness. <laughs> you can tell from the fact that they completely like disobey him usually whenever he tells them to not talk about it. You know? So it's like, but he has this, he has this love and compassion and his heart really, you know, aches for those who are suffering. And so we recognize that and we see that a lot. And this is, I'm I'm really thinking here particularly about the charismatics, uh, the Catholic charismatics, as well as, um, many uh, Protestants who are charismatic and who are operating often very powerfully in gifts of healing. Um, there's a lot of teaching that centers around um, the compassion of Jesus as the source, uh, his love that's the source of healing. And that is, that's, ob- that's true, of course. And it has this power to um, convey the truth of the Lord's love. And that that i think is the greater to me personally as someone who has witnessed healings is something that is far greater for me to meditate on and to reflect on just the fact that now you have a physical visible confirmation so you just sit down and think about this for a second it's if this was a real healing and it's not fakery it's not you know a placebo where somebody thinks they feel better and they they throw away their crutches and then they fall as soon as they get home you know it's like if it's not that and medical records prove that it's not that if there's even just one case of that in your whole state or your whole country 
this changes everything. You know, we live in, we live particularly here in the West. We have the modern priests of today are, you know, health officials and you know medical people. We kind of saw this during COVID. I feel like they're we will do you know for better or for worse. We greatly revere the opinions of health professionals, right? It's like especially with the Enlightenment and after uh, you know David Hume. You know, we just have this whole mindset of natural law is just being something that's just so strong and like it's like oh god would like almost never break natural law or like which you know god doesn't necessarily break natural law he's the creator of natural law he knows how things are supposed to operate right but because we hold science in such high esteem as we should science is not possible without christianity christianity freed us from superstition so that we would be able to develop the sciences and to understand natural law but we've made it into such a, a a little bit of a you know we've kind of built an our idol. self-reliance around it what's that an idol yes yeah i mean that's kind of what i was going to say we've built so much self-reliance around that that idol of 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 science and and uh our abilities to uh conquer every problem through science ultimately that um we always go there first we always go and i'm not saying in any way that i'm against science of course again it's a christian invention i mean the western science is a christian invention that being said we and this includes myself like i was i growing up was like wow it's like that's crazy like that's that's really amazing that any time in history god could have like change the laws of nature like that to heal a person it's like man i felt that per i that person must have felt so loved and so known by god and so special it's like and that's what i'm just really passionate about like communicating to people like what what should change if this one person this one verified case of healing happens and you know about it. I mean, that should change everything. Yeah, I think right? it's important. I mean, the way, yeah, the way that you see, um, see yourself, see the sacraments. This person was healed in the name of Jesus, contrary to all the expectations, natural laws. What do you do with that? Do you see yourself differently? Do you realize, oh, I was baptized. Like, I am unconditionally loved by God. Wow. It's like all these little things throughout my day that just throw me completely off. Maybe they shouldn't do that anymore. It's like maybe they don't need to do that anymore. Maybe I can live differently than the way I've been living. Maybe the sacraments actually have power. Maybe the Eucharist has power. I mean, many of these miracles are Eucharistic miracles. I mean, Father Michael could tell you an example, actually he should, of a, a Eucharistic miracle that he witnessed. You know, um, like this could change our entire approach to the Christian life if we just took the time to think about what an incredible thing this is. And charismatics, I mean, my goodness, we can be a little bit uh, spoiled sometimes where it's like you're you're in a, a meeting and people are getting healed and it's just like, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. Like we're not content. We need more healings. And it's like, well, it's like, 15 people got healed instead of 30 are you gonna leave disappointed because of that it's like just go back to normal life and then hope it's going to be a better healing service next time it's like no the world needs to know about this 
Like you need to take this to the adoration chapel and sit there and Jesus, you are amazing. You healed this person. And now I know that the laws of nature do not have power over you and do not have power even over me. Like they don't have to hold me back from being a saint, from being who you're calling me to be. Because I could see that your power, the power of the Holy Spirit just overcame the laws of nature in that instance of healing. There is nothing that can stop you, Lord. I just have felt a conviction of that. It's not about uh, just a practical way of dealing with aches and pains. It's not just a like, well, you know, some people, they have back pain, they get surgery. Some people, they go to the chiropractor. Some people do stretches. Some people, they go to God. Just basically pick your pick your avenue of healing. And you have that practical mindset. It's like, well, you know, prayer is kind of dicey and you have to have faith and persistence. So, yeah, it's, it's nice, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm busy. I'm just going to go to the doctor and get it taken care of that way. To not just see it as this practical thing, but yeah, to really see the to really see the love of God behind it. Like Jesus came to reveal the father. He came to, God sent Jesus to, because he loved the world. And so how did Jesus, everything Jesus did was to reveal the father. And again, what was his main thing he was doing besides teaching was healing lots and lots of people. And, you know, time-wise, it doesn't ultimately matter too much, but you know, he probably spent actually a lot of physical time actually doing the healings, um, not just preaching the sermons. But so his healings reveal the love of the Father. And Pope Benedict said that healing expresses the entire content of redemption. Yeah, just on the, the point of, like, you, and you guys were talking about this earlier with healing coming from the compassion of Jesus. You often see that Jesus was like, in the Gospels, it describes him as like moved with pity or moved with compassion. And there are several times when it says that Jesus, you know, they brought all who were sick and he healed them all. And sometimes there's like a crowd of people or like everyone in the whole town brought all their sick people and he healed them all. It's actually really beautifully depicted in the show, The Chosen. There's an episode where he's like praying for people. It's like a giant line of people and he's just like completely <laughs> exhausted. Like just goes and collapses in his tent. It's just beautiful. Like, he just like his compassion just was endless, um, but I wanted to bring that up because, in, when, especially when he was in with this crowd of people, it's like if it was just a matter of proving a point, um, he would have stopped after like two or five or ten people. You know, it's like okay, right, yeah. everyone's seen that I have the authority to do it now. Just believe in me, and like um, someday, you know, you can go to heaven. Like, stay tuned for my we, sermon tomorrow. We got the paralytic in. Um, we, got the le- you know, we got the leper done. We got the paralytic. We're we're good to go. Like, those are pretty big, big ones. You guys, yeah. you guys satisfied? <laughs> it's like. Right. It's like, um, it's not a, it's not about, it's just like a strategy. God's strategy. Well, if I do this, you know, I work this miracle, then more people will believe and they can document it and all this stuff. It's like, it's just kind of, it's just who he is. Like, it just. It's just he loves, and because he loves people, people get healed. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Right, and then we're supposed to, so that's what Jesus does. We're also supposed to reveal the love of the Father. And does that happen through being nice and compassionate, or yeah, patient, compassionate? Yes, it does. But again, how did Jesus reveal the love of the Father? 
He did it through through many healing miracles. And yeah, just to repeat that quote again, healing expresses the entire content of redemption, which is not just physical healing, it's ultimately a healing of the the broken relationship between humanity and the Father. So that that is the deepest healing that takes place, certainly. But as we said before, people need to experience God's love. And it is a a common way that Jesus chose to express his healing. And so as a church, as a disciple of Jesus, how are we revealing the love of Jesus? And maybe this this leads us to just a, a different point altogether. I know my brother, Father Christopher, did talk about his experience of praying over people not being powerful, but we can wonder why don't we see healings and we can make this theology based on our experience, which is, well, I've not heard of healings. I've not seen healings. So therefore, Jesus must not want to heal, but to not make a, a theology based on our lack of experience, but to really press in. And if we want to see, like, does God actually want to heal? Like people can really doubt that. Does God, does Jesus actually want to heal? Well, what's interesting is that when there are healings that don't happen, the explanation Jesus gives, so again, when we don't see healing, this is our explanation. God, it's God's will that I suffer, or it's not God's will to heal me because I didn't receive healing. What's the, What happens when there's not healing? What, what explanation does Jesus give? He never says, it's, I just don't want to heal you. The explanation Jesus gives is they're not being faith. And so if we want to know, does God want to heal a one? We shouldn't just assume right away that he probably doesn't, which uh, a lot of believers do, especially Catholics. We don't want to jump to that assumption, but if we want to know what is, is, is it God's desire to heal me or this person or not? one of the only ways we'll actually find out does God want to heal this person is if we actually pray persistently and pray with faith. Then that will help us know what his will is. So we have to really have that persistent faith. And just to share a story, I was with Brian O'Donnell of Urban Encounter Ministries and Laura Shoulders, who we've had on the podcast before. And we were praying for this guy who had he said like a, we asked him his back pain and he said like eight or nine. And I'm going to be honest, this guy seriously looked like he was in a lot of pain. He was really stiff. He had a really hard time standing up. He was probably 60 or so, maybe fifties. And so we're praying for a while and we'd even cleared a lot of emotional obstacles, which actually is a reason why we don't see a lot more healings, uh, spiritual and emotional wounds, are often actually the, the cause and source of pain, and they can also be obstacles to receiving God's healing. So that's an explanation for a lot of people, but this particular guy, we cleared out a lot of serious emotional obstacles. So I was thinking, man, we're going to see some serious healing. And there's three faithful people, especially Laura and Brian. We're praying. All right, healing. How's it feel? Feels the same. All right, praying. Okay, Lord, we should actually you know, bring your healing power heal this back, all this stuff, pray, pressing in, feeling better? Nope. A third time, we keep praying. And so I'm like, at this point, I'm getting a little exhausted. I'm like, okay, this is just not working, right? Like we're three people with faith, we're praying. You know what? It's not God's will to heal. We've we've placed ourselves there in faith. 
And Brian kept us praying in for at least another time, maybe a fifth time. And then actually it's like, it just dropped down to a four. Just out of nowhere from like a nine to a four. And this guy was honest, okay? He, He was very honest before that nothing was happening. And so we kept praying and it went down to, I think our one or two by the end of the, wow, the session. The and so most people like wouldn't even pray even once a little bit, let alone two, three times in that long. And so there, this faith is expressed through persistence. Again, this is the reason Jesus gives uh, when there's not healing. And I even was struck today. I was praying with the healing of the paralytic. Uh, Jesus says that your your faith has saved you or something like that. He he makes a comment about their faith. I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly. But he makes a comment about their faith. And what preceded that was his friends carrying him, going through the crowd, breaking through the roof, and lowering him down. So their, their faith wasn't just this warm, fuzzy feeling. This is what faith looked like. Putting your friend on a mat, physically carrying him, for who knows how how long of a distance, carrying him through a crowd. And I was like, well, there's a crowd. We don't want to bother Jesus. We're going through the crowd. Oh, okay, we're closer. Well, we're gonna we're gonna rip a hole in this roof. Like that is how the faith is expressed. And so maybe if they they could bring their friend to the outskirts and say, well, Jesus must not want to heal him. It must not be God's will for him to be healed because there's yeah. this crowd. Or we get closer, well, there's no way to get in the door, so it's God's will that he isn't healed. Well, you rip through the roof. And so if you want to know God's will to heal, you ha- you have to really press in. And really, you're not going to be able to press in if you don't have faith. Like if it was just me praying for that guy with the back problems, I would have stopped after one or two times. But Brian had more faith and Laura had more faith, and so they pressed in. So that's just, faith is so huge. If if we want to actually see God heal more and we want to discern whether it's his healed, whether it's his will to heal more. Yeah. That was what, to give like an example where someone didn't experience healing, even in scripture, St. Paul, you know, he talks about having his thorn in the flesh and we don't know for sure what that was, but it's something that he wanted to be healed of. And he says, three times I asked the Lord to take this away from me. But the Lord said, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And St. Paul, I'm sure, had, I mean, we know he'd seen plenty of people be healed, and he like, experienced God's healing power. And so he prayed, and, and I've heard people comment, that, like, when it says he prayed three, I asked the Lord three times, it probably doesn't mean literally only three times. It probably means, like, over and over and over. And then the Lord said to him, you know, like, basically... It is my will for you to carry it. Whatever this suffering was, you, this can kind of transition us to like maybe a little bit about the role of, of suffering as well. But he, when you've really, when you really believe in healing you've and you've seen it and you see that God likes to heal people you've, you've and you witnessed and you heard these testimonies and you've prayed and you prayed and you prayed uh, a lot with faith that God can do it that he, you know, whether you believe it's, he probably wants to do it. If you don't experience healing, at least the way you're expecting to experience it, you're going to have a lot more confidence that that's actually God's will. And, you know, like, like that's, that's how you, 
let's you know we talk about discernment and things like when my brother was mentioning you can't just take the first sign of of resistance or the first sign of it's not working out as like oh that's a sign that god doesn't want to do it like uh so many things like everything uh, of value everything big that's ever been built uh, for for God's glory, everything that people have done for the kingdom of God has come up against plenty of resistance. <laughs> and if you know the people took the first sign of uh, the first obstacle or the first sign of resistance as a sign of God's will that he that he didn't want it to happen, we wouldn't have ever done anything for God and seen anything happen. One of the roles that we see with suffering and with uh, the need for people to press in, to keep asking God, to push through those obstacles uh, and that, that time where we're not experiencing the healing is that that whole time is drawing you closer to God. It's making you become more vulnerable and it's turning you toward God and recognizing your dependence on Him. So sometimes people experience some kind of illness or some kind of source of pain or uh, disability for a significant period of time, this uh, the spiritual benefits of like experiencing that poverty and that weakness and just constantly turning toward God for help it is tremendous. Like the relationship you're building with God, the, the fact that you're having to learn to trust Him. So then even whenever, if you experience healing, it's like you, you've gained all that trust, you've gained all that confidence in God to, to take that forward. So as Catholics, we have a pretty developed, well, <laughs> I think a lot of us, maybe not as developed as it could be, but we have this idea of redemptive suffering. Um, and I fear that for a lot of people, and I know this has certainly been the case for me, redemptive suffering can, it's definitely a very, very important thing in the Christian life. I'm going to start by saying that. But this, there can be an idea of redemptive suffering that we can hide behind. We can hide from really persevering in faith, from pushing forward in faith, from having greater expectancy. I, I just see it where it's like, oh, I'll pray for you. Like people will, you know, will text in a group chat or something like, oh man, my mom or myself or has this suffering. It's like, oh, I'll pray for you. After a while, it almost seems like, well, it's great that we're showing support for this person who's having this suffering or this need for prayer, but that that seems to be the only expectation of what what's going on here, is that we're just saying, I give you my prayerful support, whether or not we actually pray for them. And a lot of times, I expect that we do, but do we have that expectation that something's going to happen? And the thing about praying for healing praying over people, laying hands on people, things like that, it really, you're in that pressure in that moment, like, okay, all right, is this going to happen or not? It's like, it's up to the Lord, but it takes, it. I mean, again, the Holy Spirit's always in that place of tension oftentimes, that place of, you know, you got to cross what some people call the chicken line whenever you're in that situation to take that risk and uh, to pray for healing. And, um, and that's always, there's a certain dying to self in that, right? The cross always comes before the resurrection. But here's the thing. The cross and the resurrection is a constant cycle in the Christian life. This is something that's really been developing in my heart and my understanding. A lot of 
Protestants don't accept the idea of redemptive suffering. A lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters, I think they just have, have a resistance to that that idea because because of our understanding that Jesus totally fulfilled our need for redemption himself. Um, and we'll I think we're not going to have time to adequately cover the topic of redemptive suffering here in this podcast because we want to mostly touch on healing, but we will in the future. There is a certain death to self that we need to take before we can enter into the joy of experiencing that healing and that increase in faith. But here's the thing. A lot of Catholics think that the way to—they understand the need to go to the cross before the resurrection, but for them, the cross is resignation. Oh, I'm supposed to just suffer this, I guess. But the problem is, is that that's not, that's not always—that's not a cross that's being carried with faith and hope and love. So what I would propose—and this has been my experience— that we press in through that that little cross to actually ask for God for more healing. And then we will become convinced, as we see it, we'll become convinced of God's goodness, and new joy will be awakened in our lives. Spiritual joy, faith, hope, and love will be invigorated. And that is what will that's the transfiguration mountaintop experience that will help us to s- deal with the real crosses of redemptive suffering, the real things where we can enter into suffering in our lives that's going to be truly fruitful, where we're going to bear fruit for the kingdom. Um, so I think we just we need to be convinced of God's goodness before we're going to be able to take our cross and suffer redemptively in union with Jesus. Yeah, and as, as again, we will have a whole thing on redemptive suffering, and we are talking a lot about the importance of healing, knowing God's desire to heal. God actually, He loves to heal. God likes to heal. God loves to heal. Again, this is His idea. But I will say that some of the sufferings I've experienced, even physical sufferings, God has used to be some of the biggest blessings in my life. So I don't be very clear about yeah. that. That being said, a lot of times when Catholics, there's a, there's a spectrum. So there can be two unhealthy imbalances. And we've alluded to this. I'll just make it very clear. One unhealthy side of the balance is God always wants to heal more or less right away, immediately, and not really seeing the value of redemptive suffering. And when, if someone's not seeing healing, they're not really asking God, what are you, what are you doing this suffering? How are you conforming me to your son? How are you purifying me? How are you inviting me deeper into relationship with you? How am I supposed to grow in faith, hope, and love? There's no real consideration. It's just kind of almost like hands over the ears. Heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me more, Lord, as your will. You know, that's, that's one side of the, the, and that's one imbalance. The other imbalance, which many Catholics fall into, is you know God always wants us to suffer, and this we're just always supposed to accept all these sufferings, and this life is hard, but then someday in heaven things will be better. So there's a spectrum there, and I think as Catholics we need to be a lot more towards the um towards that confidence and expectation and his healing, and I think a lot of the charismatic Protestants overall uh. I definitely think 
the value of redemptive suffering is is definitely missed, but I think in some ways they're kind of closer to where we should be in our expectation for healing. With all this being said, I think a lot of times it's not even the fact that Catholics are accepting, and I can say Christians in general too, but it's, it's not even the fact that Catholics are taking all these sufferings to offer them up. I don't even think they're even offering them up either. I don't think yeah. they're, like, they're just, and we're not against the doctor. You can go to the doctor, but it's like, I'm not really offering this suffering yeah. to God in prayer. Again, I'm not asking these questions. How can I offer this in love? What is God doing with this cross? I'm just, like, inconvenienced by this. I'm going to the going to the doctor. But it's, it's not really that people are not seeking healing because they're offering up. Some of the more dedicated ones might be that way. But a lot of them, there's is not really faith for healing or redemptive right. suffering. It's just the worst of, it's the worst of both worlds. To, it's the, to be honest. Yeah, where's the free act of yeah. surrender? Yeah. Yeah, and like Joe is saying, is it being is the suffering being lived in faith? You can tell whether you're actually approaching suffering through faith, and if you're. Uh, really offering up your sufferings in, in union with Jesus based on the fruit of it and the, the presence or absence of, of joy in the midst of suffering, not being yeah. let's say giddy. It's not like some kind of masochistic thing or like rejoice, but like St. Paul says in Colossians chapter one in verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake for in, in my own body. I am I'm making up for I'm filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body. So Jesus left room in in his suffering for us to to join in that. Uh, and it also says in, in the letter to, to the Hebrews that for the sake of the joy set before him Jesus endured the cross. So Jesus himself was not just consigning himself to the cross or just saying, well, I guess this is what I have to do. Uh, it's the cost of sin. Uh, he wasn't just kind of giving up and like uh, surrendering in that sense. He was surrendering fully convinced of the good that God would bring through it, that the Father would bring through it. And St. Paul was rejoicing for his sufferings because he was convinced, as he says in, in Romans chapter 8, tw- verse 28, that God... For, works all things for good for those who love him. So it's not, I think sometimes it's, it's our attitude towards suffering. When we say sometimes people kind of a cliche of, Oh, Catholics, you know, we just offer it up. You know, it's like, I don't want to be totally dismissive of that. Cause I think there some people do have a profound understanding of it, but sometimes it's like just basically what everyone else does. Like what other choice do you have in, in the sense of like, unless you're going to, uh, I don't know, just totally give up in despair of life, you're going to accept it in some sense. But the perspective of faith should be very different. And there should be, there should be a kind of a presence of peace and joy that does not make sense to other people. Like they should look at you and be like, what, like, how is it possible? And that's what you see in the saints who suffered terribly. And a lot of times that they had this joy and people were just like, what in the world? Um, is her name? There's a girl. I think she died in the late '80s or early '90s. 
Is she a blessed right now or a saint? Chiara Lucia Badano. I think she's a blessed. She died of a... Yeah, yeah, she uh, was this Italian girl and she was just this very beautiful, very holy young girl and she was like in her late teens and she got diagnosed with uh, some kind of aggressive bone cancer and she was in the hospital and it was like going through all these, you know, treatments and just, she was terminal and she was dying and she was like almost never in her room because she was walking around visiting other patients uh, and like priests and actually even like I think the archbishop went and visited her and they just like walked away just like evangelized by her, like by talking to her because she had so much joy and peace uh, in the midst of her suffering. And, um, and like the archbishop, I think, asked her like, like the light in your eyes, like where does that come from? And she said, I just try to love Jesus as much as I can. Um, you know, that's like, yeah. people can hear that, wow. you know, you're maybe complaining about a headache or like you're tired and I'm right there with you many days, but you can hear that and it just sounds like weird or kind of crazy. Uh, it should be kind of crazy. It's, you know, it's like otherworldly. It's a life, uh, animated by the Holy Spirit. And it's a totally different perspective from people who don't have faith. Going back real quick to our baptismal identity, like when we are baptized, we are anointed with the spirit of Jesus and he is forming us into Jesus. We are being divinized as the, the Eastern church would say, right? So we, Jesus says, we'll do all the works that I do and greater works than these. And I look forward to talking about, I mean, because people are doing some wild stuff, I mean, by the power of the Holy Spirit today. Um, but what was the greatest thing that Jesus did, that Jesus did in the power of the Spirit to completely pour out his love and manifest the love of the love of God in the greatest possible way was in his, his sacrifice in his um his death on the cross and it's strange to say it but that's a part of the, our inheritance as well that's a part of our gift as well is that we can share in that as well everything everything including that and we can share in that for the sake of building up the body of the church as saint paul said we can help apply the merits of jesus to um souls through our redemptive suffering so that like blessed Kiara, like that is like the perhaps the loftiest part of our apostolate of our mission. It's like uh, Saint Maximilian Kolbe said, you know, everyone has in their life these three phases: the phases of that Jesus had preparation, apostolate, and suffering. He said, like that is that is the path to holiness for everyone, <clears throat> and um, and I truly believe that. I mean, that follows that follows. Jesus's course. That being said, we as Catholics, we understand, and there's a lot of mystics, there's a lot of um, great, um, you know, saints all throughout the history of the Church that have em emphasized the power and importance of redemptive suffering as, as, as more fruitful than, say, praying for healing, right? Praying for physical healing. Which, of course, a lot of these saints also did, right? <laughs> Talking about Padre Pio. I mean, Pope John Paul II, like their physical healings that he he prayed with people and, and, and happened during his lifetime. A lot of people don't necessarily know this. But just going back to this point, um, just because redemptive suffering is like the highest and the loftiest kind of way that we participate in the life of, in the mission of Jesus, 
that doesn't mean that we somehow can decide like, well, I'm going to skip healing because, well, why? Why? Why are we just going to skip the physical healing? Because it demands more faith? Because I think it kind of does. Again, going back to like, we can just resign ourselves to a situation in front of us and think that we're doing the most lofty and sublime and noble thing like Jesus did, but we actually don't even have enough faith to pray for a small healing with somebody. I just I just need to put this out there, and this is convicting reality for me. The Holy Spirit's been showing this to me. It's like, I don't pray with people enough for healing. I'm like, oh, I'm sure you're getting holier, buddy, because you're uh, suffering that. You know, it's like, well... <laughs> Not that I say that, but I might think that. Certainly. Yeah. It's certainly a lot easier to, to tell other people to offer their suffering up than it is to pray for their healing. <laughs> yeah. 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 So again, with this discussion, even some of our other discussion, it might seem like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. Like, wasn't the whole point of this to talk about the, the goodness of healing and Jesus's desire to heal now Joe is sharing wisdom from the saints about our loftiest act of love is redemptive suffering united to Jesus. Again, there is a balance, but as as Catholics and Christians, we have a tendency to overemphasize the redemptive suffering and not really ex- have expectancy to see God heal other people or heal ourselves. And here's the thing. Can God use redemptive suffering to make us holy? Absolutely. But something that we don't often believe is that God can actually use healing to make you holy. Not not just suffering united and love glorifies God, but you actually receiving God's love is is something very sanctifying as well. And really, holiness is, is growing in God's love. And healing is one of the ways that healing is one of the ways that you can receive his love. And so it's not just a it's not just, are you in the redemptive suffering camp or the healing camp? It should be in both camps because one, yes. that's what Jesus was. Uh, yes. That's what Jesus was in. He, his greatest act of love was his suffering on the cross, but he also healed a lot. He also healed a lot of people. And here's the thing too. Jesus definitely suffered immensely out of love for us. The, the greatest act of love ever. Again, for the joy set before him. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't suffer absolutely everything. He wasn't constantly... There doesn't seem to to be evidence that he was constantly sick. He wasn't in a wheelchair. He wasn't being carried around like a paralytic. He wasn't blind. He wasn't deaf. It didn't say that he was was sick uh, all the time. Again, I don't know how much people would say that he was never sick. Did he have a cold sometimes? I'm not sure, but... In some serious, substantial way in his ministry, there's not really evidence for that. But he did have the the specific cross that was given to him. And so, yes, suffering can be redemptive and a way to exercise love. But you have to be careful. It's dangerous to try to choose your own cross because the Father has immense wisdom. He has immense wisdom in which crosses are for you and which ones you're meant to carry. He didn't say carry every cross. He says carry your no. cross. And Jesus said, "Take my, you know, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light." 
So again, if it's, if we have this suffering and it's just like crushing our spirit, um, and it's a undermining our faith, our ability to believe in God, our ability to believe, especially in God's goodness, that God has a future for us, a pretty good chance that's not from the Lord. And, um, if you've taken on that just default position of assuming that everything that's everything bad that's going on in your life, every suffering you're experiencing must be God's will, uh, you're going to be kind of closed off to the possibility that he wants to change the situation. This might have been said a different way earlier, but there's a hesitation to pray for healing because one will actually have to come to grip the reality that we doubt God's goodness, we'd actually have to, maybe there's a hidden suspicion that God actually isn't real. Maybe he's not present. Maybe he's not powerful. Maybe he isn't loving. And if we pray for something specific, we pray for healing, that real, that our faith in God is going to be tested. Like, And if we feel like our faith is a little bit shaky, we don't want to shake that anymore. We don't want to, we don't want to be disappointed. And so we we hesitate to actually pray for the healing or another big thing too is there can be this hesitation to pray for healing because maybe we've prayed for healing in the past or other people have prayed for healing and we've not seen, we've not seen healing and it basically turns in on ourselves on shame of, Oh man, I don't have faith. This is all my problem. And so faith is important, but I don't want to automatically just, I don't want to automatically just say it's your fault. And so that's a, a big reason too we don't pray for healing is because there might be this insecurity that I don't have faith and I don't want to have to come to grips with that reality. Yeah, there's also the fear of whether it's for yourself or for someone else, the idea of just getting your hopes up. It's like you're afraid that if I set a higher expectation of faith of that God wants to heal or that God's going to heal, and it doesn't happen, that person's going to be worse off than they were before. Yeah. Just uh, something that it can just reassure people from experience and from the experience of other people. They just almost in a surprising way is just not what happens. Yeah. Like even people that I've prayed with who just seemed really kind of burdened and, um, and they, you know, they were suffering some physical thing, but they obviously were, their, their spirit was, was kind of, um, they're just they're heavily burdened by it, and we, and I prayed for them. And there have been times where that person didn't experience like any real noticeable, like reduction of physical pain. But then sometimes those people come back to me later, like they're at a healing service, and they're just like, "That was amazing!" Like whole oh, experience, like I just like God's love. I just felt so loved, and like, um, again, the the goal of the healing, like my brother said, is like people are going to experience. God's love and people obviously there's so much more to how God moves in a person in their heart and even in their body even if maybe a particular condition wasn't like instantly resolved uh, people do uh, feel loved by God and that is the that is the end goal so that that idea of like the fear of getting people's hopes up um, it's kind of sad I actually have a, a priest friend who um, a priest that he worked with another priest uh, kind of was almost like embarrassed or like, like, like laughed at him a little bit for praying with a woman for healing from cancer. My friend was praying for this woman to be healed of cancer 
and just like telling her like, yeah, like people are healed. And like, I believe that Jesus can heal you. And he was anointing her and praying for her. And, um, the other priest said, like, I think that's almost like spiritual, like that's almost abusive mm. to give someone that hope that like false hope. And he's like, and he's like, well, my friend's like, well, it does happen. And like, how is anyone ever going to receive it if they don't have like a belief that it can even, it's even possible that God would even want to do right. that. He like shared some testimonies with her. And it's like, it's a pretty sad place if you would rather give people no expectations and like no hope of any healing in this life than get their hopes up. It's like, okay, actually when God healed people and when, when Jesus healed people, every person who came to him and when he told us to lay our hands on the sick and to, and that they would be healed, he's the one who got our hopes up. Jesus got our hopes up for healing. It's right? his fault. It's on him. Like <laughs> that doesn't mean, I mean like literally like it, we're going to be faithful and do it responsibly and do it pastorally like in with the proper preparation. You don't just run around doing whatever you want. But for us to have the same expectations uh, of what Jesus promised would happen is not disobedient. It's not us being spiritually abusive. I think it would be just unfaithful and disobedient to do otherwise. I just, um, I really kind of want to put uh, one or both of you guys on the spot because I don't know about our listeners, but I personally am kind of hungry to hear you guys tell some stories from your ministry because I know that you guys in particular, I mean, I've seen my share of healings. Um, I've not, I'll be completely honest, I've not seen as much breakthrough in my prayer for healing with people yet, mostly because I do chicken out a lot of times when I have the opportunity. Um, even though I've I've had a lot of awesome experiences praying with people prophetically and such. But I'm just really hungry to hear some, uh, just a few stories of your guys' personal experience of um, healing that has come about from praying with people. I know Father Michael shared one story so far, um, but just any more that uh, might really stand out to you in your memory. Yeah, well, let me say this real quick. Actually, maybe a question what if an angel appeared to you and the angel said, I have a message from God and the angel said, God told me to tell you this, that if you pray for healing, he will heal one out of every 100 people. Or if you pray for, you'll heal, God will use you to heal someone one out of every 200 people. Like this is a guarantee. My question is, would you pray, would you continue to pray for healing? for everyone or would you only pray knowing with 95% certainty that someone would be healed? There's a, I think it was Todd White. There was someone, uh, a gifted uh, Protestant evangelist who does a lot of healing ministry. And in his life, it was somewhere around, he didn't see any healings for three, four, 500, maybe even 600 people. But the point is it was, a lot of people, he didn't see any healing at all. And he could say, it's not God's will to heal, or I don't have the gift of healing. And that's a really big thing. People say, well, I don't know if I have the gift. I don't know if I have the gift. It's like one, you have the power of prayer. You have the power of the name of Jesus. Again, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Like G the Bible says, Romans, if you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise your mortal bodies to life also. 
so you can experience resurrection. That is insane, way more insane than any healing. So you have the spirit of Jesus. That's what you have. And Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. He the 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 means of his miracles was his humanity empowered by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You are also anointed with the Holy Spirit through your baptism. So that's just a some foundational points I wanted to 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 note right away. And even for myself, I'll share some stories. The reality is I've definitely seen God some, do some things. I've not seen tons of crazy things. And people could wonder why why are you so passionate about this or why should we believe you? Again, there are many people who have pressed in for this and God, if you show your desire and you show your faith by praying for healing, he'll he'll give you more um he'll work through you more in that way. That being said, just in general, as I've been praying for people for healing, uh, there there have been, been fairly often reductions in pain, but signs that the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully, especially is present. People experiencing uh, this, this spiritual heat or spiritual electricity through their body, this heavy sense of God presence just out of the blue one time. Um, so that's the experience of God's love, but even these other areas of heat in the the body area that was damaged, so God's definitely doing something in that way. Again, I don't nothing necessarily super crazy per se. Uh, my brother and I did pray for a woman who was going blind in her right eye. She had wet macular degeneration, which is much more severe and harmful than dry, the dry variation. And normally, wet macular degeneration is irreversible. We prayed for her, and she can also also hardly see out of that eye. On the vision test, she couldn't see any of the letters. The next day, she could see, I don't know if it was like two, three, four lines down. I think it was at least three or four, maybe five lines down in the vision test. Praise the Lord. And then I continued to pray for her a couple more times. And her wet macular degeneration actually was tested twice as being reversed, which is supposed to be irreversible, they told her. And even apart from that, it got to the point, she walked up to me one day. A couple months later, she said, you notice anything different about me? I said, you're not wearing glasses. And she said, yeah, I don't need them anymore. She says they, they do help, but she doesn't like absolutely have to wear them. And so that was almost being blind in that eye. Um, other kind of cool things of not even praying for healing and people being sovereignly healed just through my presence because I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, not because I'm special. Uh, there's been three women that have been healed with uh, right shoulder issues. So for all you women out there with right shoulder problems, be healed in Jesus' name. But anyways, I want, the first time I was talking, I was actually in the Bronx. I was giving a talk on inner healing, but I was not even praying for healing. This woman came to me. She felt this healing in her shoulder. Uh, as I was speaking, this healing heat of the Holy Spirit came into her arm sovereignly and prayed for healing. And she just felt overwhelmed by the power of God. There was someone there to capture. She actually just fell over uh, in the power of God. And then another time was a, a Hispanic retreat, also on inner healing. Again, not praying for healing. And someone received dramatic healing in her right shoulder. She so showed me how she could not lift it very high. And then she showed me full range of motion or close to full range of motion. I prayed for her kind of in transition. It was not some big everyone getting together, 
praising God, lifting their hands, singing really loud, special lighting, just in transition to walking upstairs in the middle of the afternoon and start praying for more of the Holy Spirit to do more of the healing, even though it was dramatic healing. And she just like fell limp under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I would like to double check the information to be sure. I think she actually had a, a surgery scheduled and I think she canceled it. And the last time I talked to her, her shoulder was still doing good. And then I was sharing these testimonies and then someone else received dramatic healing uh, in her shoulder. In terms of the Eucharist, I'll be brief here because we're going a little bit long. The Eucharist, and I've actually, I'm expecting to see more of these healings from the Eucharist because I've not even done a super great job of setting the expectation, but I did a procession with the, the Eucharist and the monstrance. In case anyone doesn't know what the Eucharist is, if you're a Protestant listening, the Eucharist is the host that the priest prays at Mass, and we believe the the bread becomes Jesus himself. We use the language of it becomes his body, blood, soul, and divinity, but simply put, it's Jesus. And I did a procession, walked around the church, and this woman who the whole week had been slowly walking into church with her walker, always sat at the back, never came up for communion. The next day, she said, I felt this healing power in my leg when you brought the, the Eucharist around. And she was barely be able to walk with the walker. And then she showed me, there's a video on my Facebook. She's not skipping like a spring chicken, but she's walking a little bit of a limp, but still fully walking. She, she walks up and down the aisle, which is just amazing. And then a couple other times where, um, yeah, I don't know if this is TMI, but there was actually um, someone I know in one of the adoration services I did was healed of hemorrhoids just sovereignly by the power of the Eucharist and another person with a lot of back pain uh, just recently actually we did a adoration for Christmas and her back pain just completely went away and that was out without me doing a procession or setting a lot of expectation there probably could be more stories but we are going pretty long so I'll just stop there I guess I'll just share a couple of quick ones Uh, one time I think it might have been the I think it was the it was the first healing service that I ever helped at that you put on, uh, Michael, uh, there in Decatur. And there was a man that came to me for prayer, and he had a lot of uh, he had several different places in his body with pain. But one of the worst things was he had really bad sciatic pain, and I think he said for the past several months, it was like at least three or four months, he hadn't been without pretty bad pain in the sciatic going down his leg for more than like a few hours, like part of a day. And then, uh, he said, Oh, this is weird. Like after I prayed, he's like, I don't, I don't feel that pain right now. And I was feeling it right when you, when you started. And then like a couple weeks later, he was like, I still don't have any, I still haven't had that sciatic pain at all. Two weeks. And then it was like almost two months later when I was like about to leave, he was like, I still, that pain never came back. It was like pain was plaguing him every day, like without a break of more than, you know, part of a day for months and months. Like he was then months without the pain at all. So praise the Lord. Um, and then there was another time where I was at a, a, a conference with a couple of friends. And one of my friends, her uh, 13-year-old son was there with her. And we were actually like, they were doing a healing service. And all these people all over the conference room praying for people like, I mean, probably hundreds of people <laughs> praying for each other and stuff. 
and uh, he had been waiting in line for a while and he was having the whole time we were at the conference he was having pretty bad back pain he was having back problems and I prayed for him and uh, he was like oh, that's really weird I felt like this like electricity going up and down my spine he's like and he's like I don't think like I don't think the pain's there and he was like bending over and like turning his back around in different ways and he was like yeah I don't feel it at all Jesus. so that was a cool thing just also because it was you know accompanied by that like just like electricity in, in his in his spine so there had been a lot of other kind of things like my brother said of just people experiencing pretty significant relief of like arthritis pain uh, joint pain things like that back pain um but nothing like uh, super like you know medically verified or, or, or major beyond those but it, it will happen with time amen, amen. i'm, I'm confident name, that it, i'm confident that it that it will and did we we are priests but there's our our friend mary joe parish she's a uh, a wife and a mother and she sees all sorts of crazy amazing healing the last thing i'll say and we'll close is there's a i got a letter from someone who attended one of the healing services i don't know who prayed for her but she wrote this letter she said that she had interstitial lung disease and then a couple months later she was like had a test and she didn't have it i looked up the condition apparently from what i've what i've seen is that it's irreversible and I, it's pretty fatal like wow. a lot of people are dead to, to three to five years and she doesn't have it anymore at praise all praise the lord thank you Jesus. i don't know who prayed for her but this resources we mentioned healing by mary healy another just phenomenal book is lord renew your wonders by oh Damien yeah Stain. can i just say definitely one uh, thing about that it's just yeah. damien stain is someone that i really look up to um because he is he is so thoroughly Catholic. Um, I mean, he he literally went to seek out Pope John Paul II without any money from England where he lived. He just went to get his blessing for his prayer group when there's like three, four or five people in it. He now leads an internationally such an impactful, basically charismatic community in England where he still lives. Um, he comes to America pretty often, but he just does. He's a layman. He's not a priest. Um, and he was married for a time as his wife's passed away, but um, he just has really married the contemplative, especially the Eucharistic and mystical um, focus and tradition of Catholicism with the charismatic dimension, using the, the charisms and just developing them to an extraordinary maturity um, among the members of his community. It's just really a community of different families. It's called Cor et Lumen Christi. Um, and so, but there have literally been thousands of people worldwide, uh, healed through his ministry physically. Um, but, uh, I was at a, at an encounter conference, uh, not a little, just a little more than a year ago now. Um, and he was there and, um, the Lord had, uh, kind of spoken to him, um, not that long before, it might've been just like a few months before, um, that he would now heal people with his shadow. And so he would just walk through the crowd of people, person would hold a light behind him, and then people would be healed when the, when his shadow fell on them, like St. Peter, right? Again, it's not because he's so special, it's because, you know, um, he's baptized and he felt that the Lord asked him to do this, so he was going to do it. And um, he went through the crowd, and I remember seeing there was this this gal 
um, who had gone to my parish growing up out in Indiana. I could see she was like basically bawling up there on the stage. And I was like, huh, what's she doing here? <clears throat> and I ran into her um, after that healing service. And she was like, yeah, it's like, um, she is actually a Damascus missionary um, now. Um, I, I don't know if she still is, um, but she was at the time. And she was like, yeah, I got my uh, leg broken over the summer um, in August, and it was still, like, not doing well. And as soon as the shadow came over me, it's like it got, like, instantly healed. So she was, like, showing me how, like, her leg was in, in great shape. It's just glory to God. It's just, like, the amazing things that the Lord is doing in the church. And we could tell so many more stories, but we have to save that for another time. But, yeah, it's just, Amen. yeah. Yes, that's Lord Renew Your Wonders by Damien Stain. Maybe someday we'll just make a document that just has all these in one place. And then Healing by Mary Healy has a lot of exciting stories. So I think we'll just go ahead and close with the prayer like we, we normally do. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I ask you to send your healing power actually now into anyone, to everyone listening to this podcast. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, I ask you to bring healing to those listening to this podcast right now that even as I would speak right now, that your spirit would anoint these words, uh, that backs, arms, legs, shoulders, wrists would be healed in Jesus' name. Uh, any digestive issues or gut problems would be healed in Jesus' name. Any autoimmune conditions would be healed in Jesus' name. That the healing power of God would just flow through everyone listening here. And Lord, I ask you to increase our faith in healing, increase our faith in expectation in your power. Help us to not cower away in fear from the call of, from our mission. That you said that those who believe in you will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So help us to not ignore your command out of our own preference or our own lack of expectation, but help us to rise up to the calling and renew our mind that you live within us, that we are temples of the, of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus, that you want to reveal yourself through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask you to empower our church to proclaim the gospel and to proclaim it with accompanying signs and wonders. As St. Paul said that he... Um, that his speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power that your gospel would not be just some nice idea. It would be uh, a message that carries power with it, the power of your love to bring restoration. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit.